The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including ACLA Impact, Seed Equity Ventures, and Clean Energy Advisors. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and our guest today here at the United Nations is Stephanie Willard, who is the founder of Seven Women, a remarkable organization working in Nepal to help women uh, become entrepreneurs and financially self-sufficient, having helped thousands. So, Stephanie, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. It's an honor. Stephanie, you are receiving a reward, an award from Rotary today. Uh, the the reward, award is the Responsible Business Award, right? Yeah. That's really quite remarkable. Now, you started Seven Women as a very young woman. Tell us the story of how Seven Women got started. Sure. I was, after high school, I went to Nepal on a, on a volunteering trip, as many people do, and then went back as a leader for groups of architects that were going from Melbourne to Nepal with Duke of Edinburgh organisation. And it was not until I went back as a leader that I really got interested in effective aid and how people uh, give aid and, and, you know, try to help people in the third world countries because as a leader, um, watching the group having made their um, designs in in Australia and not having ever been to Nepal, it was quite difficult having them really attached to it and, and having to be very flexible in a developing country like Nepal. So... The group went back and I stayed on for a few weeks and I was really grateful for that experience and reflection because when I met seven women then in the back streets of Kathmandu who were living in a tin shed um, as I was walking one day, I I had that same desire to, to kind of help and, and do something but I, I had the experience of reflecting on what, what is effective aid and um, I realised that the best way I could help these women was to pay for trainers to come and train them in a skills that would help build their skills because that's something that can't be taken away from them and they can earn money from that in future. So I, I, I want to just get in your head, get in that experience. You're, you're wandering the streets of Kathmandu, seven women in a tin shed, and you say, I, I'm going to adopt. <laughs> um, how did you communicate with them? Yeah, so I, I first met the women through a friend, actually, who said that there are these women who are living in a tin shed and uh, one of the women has kind of gathered the six other together. She's disabled and they're all disabled and um, do you want to go and see if we can make a difference? So um, I went there and I um, heard the women's stories and I remember asking the women, what would you do if you had money? What would you like to do in the future? And uh, the, the one of the women spoke broken English, so that was how I was able to communicate initially. And all of the women said that they would love to help women in their remote villages that they'd come from mm-hmm. that were in worse positions than them. So that really inspired me because... They were in worse positions than living in a tin shack yeah. in Kathmandu. Yes, okay. and, and that, that really inspired me because it confirmed everything I'd learned at university, it's, you know, studying yeah. international development, that women once they've had a hand up themselves. Yeah. And I thought, imagine if I could assist these women, you know, in the beginning, imagine what what an impact they can have in their communities. So you had $200 to your name. You spent the $200 on 
trainers? What did, what were the trainers training them? Actually, the trainers were training them in knitting because we had, we had to uh, work out if the women already had basic skills in knitting because a lot of them do it in their villages in winter yeah. months. They make blankets and, and scarves and things like that for their families. So we thought we'd build on what they already had and hire a few trainers. Um, also, we had to think about what are the ready, ready um materials that are readily available in the local market that can be accessed again and again once they've been trained. So knitting was the first thing that we trained the women in. And you you said in kind of our pre-interview discussion, you, you mentioned that the women illiterate and ha- as a result had difficulties with some of the basic things like measuring. I mean, I'm imagining you sending a request for uh, you know, a, a particular size piece mm. and it comes back the wrong size mm. because they can't measure it. Is that what was going on? Yeah, so it was basically like trying to start a business but build it from the ground up. So the, I mean, from the very ground. From the very from, ground. Maybe from a, a hole dug in the earth <laughs> yeah, compared to and, and what was, most businesses. It was a very steep learning curve in the beginning because the I, I thought – Training, they'd be able to make products, and but we realised that actually they were illiterate and they couldn't measure products, which ended up in all sorts of um, results, such as um, you know products that were different sizes and different colours, and they couldn't even count. I mean, uh, is what? Yeah, well, if you and that's something um, that obviously women would not be able to count if they're illiterate. And that's something that, you know, in the Western world when we're automatically educated, I've never even thought of that. So yeah. it, then we had to kind of take a step back and go, wow, okay, we, we introduced literacy programs. So then we got some trainers to teach yeah. them in basic numbers and, and just being able to, um, you know, in the villages that we work in now in remote Nepal, women don't even know their names, which is just, you know, hard to fathom for us. They don't even know what their names are because... Um, they've never been taught or, or they don't even know how to say this is my village, my village name is. Um, so it's really, really uh, basics in the remote, remote areas of Nepal. I had no idea. I mean, I've been to the remote villages in Nepal and didn't appreciate it. I didn't talk to many of the women, certainly none of the old women. Some of the young girls I could talk yeah. to, they spoke a little bit of English. But uh, that's not a representative sample necessarily, mm-hmm. and especially disabled women. Because one of the women in uh, one of your videos mm-hmm. said that the w- disabled women face a really hard cultural context because of the um, is it the Hindu beliefs around disability that the, mm-hmm. there was sort of bad karma. You did something bad in a prior life. That's what initially really to that flame in me. Like this is this is really unjust. You know that they're despite factors that they can't change, but right. you know how they look, um, they're being stigmatised by society. And they were in the tin shed because no landlord wanted them in their building. So even if they did have money, which they didn't have much at the time, because they yeah. weren't able to um, sell any of, they were making candles and soaps at the time. But and, and they used to walk around the local market, but no one would buy their products because of the way that they looked and I just I thought that was really sad as as most people would. Oh, sure, sure. And um, thought, you know, what can we do to change this? Because the the cultural beliefs and, and stigmas around disability, um, people believe they were evil in a past life and that they're paying penance in this life life and that it's bad luck to associate with a disabled person. Ah, ah. 
so painful. Now, your program has grown and expanded. We call it Seven Women. <clears throat> That's what you call it. That's what everyone calls it. But it's not just Seven Women anymore. Uh, a thousand have been through the program. Thousands more have benefited. Tell us about how it scaled up. The, the Seven Women, it took a very long time, probably about three years before. You know, in that three years, it was like, is it going to work? Is it not? Work. It's it's really taking a long time. You know, the products are being sent back and they're um, they're damaged or they're half done. Um, so it was for, for that three years. It was quite difficult to uh, even viable income from from so to keep generating income in Australia. You know, with the volunteers that I collected and inspired, but without products that are sellable, it was quite challenging. That yeah. the bargain bin on our market stalls was getting bigger and bigger every time we we had a cargo load. So, um, but we kept we stuck at it and persisted, and we got better trainers. And um, you know, I started designing products that were a better match with the the Western market, yeah. uh, and we gradually. Um, made it and people started buying products and, and then once they reached an even better standard, we were able to wholesale to shops. So we now wholesale our products to 120 shops around Australia and that's a really consistent, you know, sustainable income for us. Even though it took a long time, I, I never wanted to rely on funding because seeing, you know, when I was leading the tour groups over to Nepal, I... Um, I was fascinated in, in how people help. So I, I visited a lot of organisations that were doing a lot of good work and saw a lot of corrupt ones and a lot of great ones. But I noticed that the ones that had turned corrupt were reliant on funding and really dependent on people giving them money. And I knew that when we started, I never wanted to you know, put the women in that situation or I wanted to build something really sustainable from the beginning. So we did that and after three years we started you know, building and building and I'd say after six years... We then started funding our own entirely. So we're now at the 10-year mark, very sustainable in, in what we do, and we've shifted everything to Nepal so that the income is now being earned in Nepal and over the next 12 months we'll start slowly um, not selling as many products, only <clears throat> keeping a few. Wow. Now, uh, I want to go back to those seven women. I presume they're still around. You you know them. They're you're connected. Yeah. So, what are they doing? What are they up to? What role do they play? And how have their lives changed? Mm, I'll I'll answer that with an example of a girl called Sandia, who was one of the initial seven, and she is quite badly um, disabled. Her, her bones weren't formed at birth because of lack of nutrition uh, in the womb, and her mouth is quite badly formed and she's kind of got a hunchback and, and very short and she has been a huge source of inspiration in terms of you know persisting and all the women have but in their stories but Sandia was when I first kind of met them was hiding behind the other women kind of trying to hide her deformities and not not be seen and the, the, we had the training but Sandia didn't participate because she had started to embody these beliefs that she was sure. not capable because society believed that and uh, it took her three months before she started to participate in training and um, and she has just progressed, you know, now the 10-year mark. She's training. She worked out that she was passionate about she taught herself how to read and write and now she's um, 
training the women every day at four o'clock at our centre. They have literacy classes and we bring, uh, we've expanded into four big villages outside of Kathmandu and we bring the um, women from those villages to be trained by Sundown and then go back to their villages and deliver literacy classes to hundreds of women. Wow. It's hard to imagine how that has changed her life at a personal level, but she can't even be the same person in, in so many ways, right? Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting because at a recent um, Seven Women documentary, of a, of a documentary screening, um, a woman came up to me afterwards and Sunday is, you know, plays a, a star role in our documentary and said, I would like to fund Sundia to have an operation to make her mouth normal. And it's, it's never even occurred to me. It would kind of, I, I just, and I said, thank you so much. That's so generous. But she's actually really happy with herself now. You know, she posts selfies yeah. all over her Facebook page and always sending me photos yeah. of herself posing. So It would be entirely the wrong message. Yeah, and, and she's, she is very comfortable in her own skin now and, um, and slowly by, you know, society's attitudes, we've seen big changes, particularly in the villages that we're working in. Wow. Just amazing, <clears throat> really amazing work that you've done. I wanted to ask a couple of personal questions. You are an amazing, remarkable woman. I think about myself wandering the streets of Kathmandu and being presented women living in a shed. I might, under best case scenario, have been convinced to leave them $200. Odds are not good, but I might have. I would never have thought to take the kind of responsibility that you have. I mean, I, I, my admiration for you is off the charts. My question for you, though, is who do you look up to? Here you are, someone who I see as, you know, the peak of admirability. Who do you find to look up to and inspire you? I would have to say my father, actually, because I, I believe that parenting is a really important. Um, you know, my father from a young age, I learnt from him. He's a successful businessman and I learnt from him at a young age that people can do business and have full integrity and be successful. And my father is a um, leading company called Ultralift Australia in the audiovisual industry in Australia and uh, is really well-known, respected for being honest and full of integrity in the industry. And actually it was, to me, I just thought it was normal because I saw Dad build his business from a shed out the back of our house, <laughs> a tin shed, in fact, mm -hmm. um, a, a bigger one, yeah. a, a much bigger one, um, into what's now his, um, his factory. And he has been really inclusive with who he's employed and really fair to his staff and, and really invested in his staff. So I learned from my dad that, you can, you know, businesses can respect people, profit and planet. That's a great, great response. Now, again, going back to your roots, you're there, you're in Kathmandu, you're with the seven women, you've got $200. It would be so easy to make yourself feel good and leave them the $200 and wish them well. Why didn't you do that? Why did you adopt these women and change their lives completely in that way? Why did you feel responsible for that? Because I'd had a experience in life shape us and that's what I'm really 
uh, passionate about bringing people from all around the world to Nepal on, on my tours um, to give them those human experiences that can really change the way we behave. You know, it's not just... Um, it's, it's different than hearing something or, or experiencing it for yourself. And um, so my experiences shaped me and I was lucky enough to have those experiences visiting a lot of different organisations, having the experience as a leader for groups of architects who um, who I thought, you know, this this is probably not the most sustainable border community with no translators and a, and a leader that doesn't speak Nepalese at, at that time. And um, so I, I've had that experience and... I, I would like for seven women, you know, people to take inspiration from seven women, um, not just to see it as working in Nepali villages um, or not just we do cooking classes for tourists, not just for tourists to come do a cooking class and go home with a warm, fuzzy feeling. I would really love for it to, to extend out to businesses big and small to apply some of these principles and, and really make a difference because businesses can. Well, they, they certainly can. Well, you, you, you do amaze and inspire me. I want to ask now, we ask all of our guests for a, what we call an impact hack, a tip that would help us to do more good in the world. And I can't think of anyone better to get an impact hack from. What's yours? Be, uh, I've always, in, in jobs that I've done previously and just being true to myself and true to the values that I hold and that I've been brought up with and, I, you know, whether it's in a workplace or, um, you know, in the street, if you see someone needing help or, or being bullied, you know, to, to speak up and to stand up and to take that responsibility to say, actually, this is this is not okay to treat, you know, each other like that and it needs to be dealt with. And I think a lot of people compromise on their values too much and I can understand, you know, in certain situations it's, it's difficult, but... I, I've always been a person to, to stand up and speak up if I see somebody being treated unfairly or if there's an injustice around me. And I think if everybody did that, the world would be an extremely different place. Well, I think that is a great, a great uh, tip for us, a great impact hack to speak up. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today. We just can't thank you enough. Before you go, would you tell people how they can learn more about Seven Women and how they can connect with you personally? Sure. Uh, Seven Women is on uh, our website, sevenwomen.org, and Facebook page, Seven Women. And uh, the tour company is handsondevelopment.com.au, where, where people can come to Nepal and experience some of these things. We've had, it, it's, it hasn't just been me at all, it's me in the very beginning and the women, but we've had um, huge amounts of support from uh, my family, obviously, and the many volunteers that have donated their time and skills. And Rotary has been an amazing support as well in, in the life and growth of seven women because uh, Rotary has an incredible um, network globally of people who are business professionals and have diverse skills that they can and, and the will and the values that they want to give back and, and serve above self. So I'm really grateful for our partnerships with Rotary. Well, fantastic. Uh, Stephanie, thank you very much for being with us today. We just really can't thank you enough uh, and congratulate you on your award and all the great things that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks. All righty. Let's do some good. At the intersection of financial services and social media, Gate Global Impact, 
GGI uses new market infrastructure to facilitate investments in organizations that deliver a societal, environmental, and or a cause-related benefit in addition to a financial return. Seed Equity Ventures is a registered broker-dealer with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and a member of both FINRA and SIPC, providing investment banking services to startups globally. Seed Equity's mission is to find the best and brightest entrepreneurs and connect them with global investors. Clean Energy Advisors creates investment opportunities in the renewable energy sector that provide clients with a predictable income, preservation of capital, and positive impact. Clean Energy Advisors is committed to providing clients with investment opportunities with both market rates of return and measurable impact. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur, or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.